0: And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick, and now your handsome hosts, PK Rick and their highly paid intern, Malord. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 Pandemic. Today is Monday, September 13th, 2021. And I have uh, as my guest today, my good friend, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital. And joining Pam is Bridget McLemore, who is, uh, in addition to having background as a physical therapist, she's the system director of specialty clinics, rehab, and fitness for EE Health. How are you, ladies?
1: We're great. Doing good good today. And guess what? I'm looking out my window, and there are blue skies, and it's a nice crisp day, although I hear it's going to get colder by the end of the week.
0: Yeah, we're going to have highs in the mid-50s by uh, Thursday or Friday, and uh, I'm headed out of Dodge to someplace warmer for a few days, so uh, I hope uh, you have your winter coats out.
1: <laughs> well, lucky you. I hope you enjoy.
0: <laughs> so if it's all right, we'll start with you, Pam, and kind of okay. get a little background on uh, COVID updates. And then we'll uh, move to you, Bridget. And in particular, we want to ask you about some weight management programs that EE Health offers. So Pam, if you could give us a quick update on uh, your COVID inpatient census, I'd appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of interesting. We haven't talked since September 13th, so just a little over a month. And back on that date, we had seven positive COVID patients with one on event and two awaiting results, and today we have seven positive COVID patients with one on event and two awaiting results, or one awaiting results, so one less. But, you know, you would say, okay, so nothing changed, but a lot changed during that time. Um, COVID deaths last time were 197. This time we had 200, so only three people in the month, so that's pretty pretty good. Um, Of the patients in the hospital last time, Seven of them were um, non-vaccinated, so all seven, and this time all seven are unvaccinated as well. Um, Dupage County, before had 102,000 patients, people that were positive with COVID. Now there is 107,000 people that are positive with COVID, and deaths went from 1,431 to 1,459. So there was about 28 more deaths over the month in DuPage County. The state though, is interesting in that um, we went from 1.57 million to 1.67 million positive patients and deaths went up from 26,845 to 28,197. And I think the difference between DuPage County and the rest of the state in terms of deaths is the number of people vaccinated in DuPage County. The good news is we did discharge. Last time, we had 2010 discharges um, from the hospital, and so far we've had 2067. So we have discharged 57 patients in the past month. So it's not like the same seven have been here. They've been rotating, and people are coming and going, and we remain at a 97% recovery rate.
0: So looking at the numbers, it appeared that in late July, early August – the uh, COVID numbers started to ramp up again and then they got pretty high in the middle of August. You were up around 30 COVID inpatients throughout a lot of August, but it's been more than a month and it seems like it's kind of leveled off at that 7, 8, 9, 10 uh, level. So it seems like maybe this last surge is almost over. Does it seem like that's the case? And if so, are you are you worried there's going to be another surge in the next few weeks?
1: So you're right, it's been slowly kind of stabilizing, and and, uh, that's a really good sign. But I have been burned before, so I am not going to say that I'm not worried. I'm always going to be worried. I'm very cautious about as the weather gets colder and people are inside more and holidays are coming and people are lowering their guard again and having events and spending time together, uh, we could just potentially see... An increase again. I do know of several weddings that have happened recently where there have been uh, COVID outbreaks after the wedding of people who have been vaccinated. So we do know that people um, are still getting COVID. They just may not be getting sick enough to end up being hospitalized. And as long as they're just getting sick, not enough to be hospitalized, that's a good thing because we get illness and we know we get illness. As long as we can recover, that's a really good thing.
0: Are there any new meds out to treat COVID, and and are you still using convalescent plasma as a treatment?
1: Well, we're definitely still using the convalescent plasma. We think that's really important. And so if anybody gets sick, we do encourage that they check and see if this is something that's good for them and, and that they get it very quickly so that it can prevent hospitalization. But there have been no approved new treatments out there. So I know there's a lot in the news saying there's new this and new that, but nothing has been approved yet.
0: And does it appear from from what the experts say that most of the cases that we're seeing that are breakthrough cases at least continue to be the Delta variant?
1: That's what I've been told. Yes, although you know we don't tr- we don't test every one of them. So right. just, so you know that's what it appears to be. I have not heard that anything else is out in the market right now here. So yes, I would say it would be the Delta variant.
0: So the big news the last month and a half or so is been about booster shots, and I know that the last time we spoke, we weren't exactly clear on what part of the population was eligible. We knew a small portion was, but now it seems like more folks are eligible. Can you tell me what you know about that eligibility currently?
1: I can, and this is going to be a very long answer, so be patient with me. That's all right. So older adults and 50- to 64-year-old people with medical conditions, So people aged 65 and older and then 50 to 64 with underlying medical conditions should get a booster shot of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. The risk of severe illness from COVID-19 increases with age and can also increase for adults of any age with underlying medical conditions. Long-term care setting residents aged 18 years and older. So those people should get a booster shot of Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine because residents in long-term care settings, um, because they live closely together and they usually have underlying medical conditions, they're at higher risk of infection and severe illness from COVID-19. So that's why they're eligible. People with medical conditions ages 18 to 49 that have underlying medical conditions should get a booster shot with the Pfizer vaccine based on their individual benefits and risks. So adults 18 to 49 who have underlying medical conditions that increase their risk for severe illness as before, they're the ones that should get the COVID-19. However, that risk is likely not as high as it would be for adults ages 50 and older. And so, you know, we definitely recommend for 50 and older, but those 18 to 49 are recommended if they are interested.
0: Does Does the original vaccine have to be administered more than six months ago to get a booster at this point?
1: Yes. So employees and residents, um, people age 18 to 64 at increased risk for COVID exposure and transmission because of their occupation or institutional setting can get the booster shot for Pfizer uh, biotech vaccine based on their individual benefits and risks. So anybody ages 18 to 64 who work or reside in certain settings such as healthcare, schools, correctional facilities, homeless shelters, may be at risk for COVID. And so they they could get the booster shot and it is encouraged that they get the boost booster shot. Now they're not being forced to, there's no mandates. It's just, it's recommended that you ha- are um, able to get that booster shot. Other uh, examples of people who could get it, first responders, so healthcare workers, as I said, firefighters, police, congregate staff, uh, teachers, support staff, daycare workers, people in the food and agricultural workers, manufacturing workers, correction workers, U.S. Postal Service workers, public transit workers, and grocery store workers.
0: Hmm. And is that all re- regardless of what vaccine they received the first time around?
1: Well, that's that's the second question. Okay. So the. So the the question being that if you got a Pfizer vaccine, should you be able to get a different vaccine? You know, if you got a different vaccine other than Pfizer, should you get a booster? And right now they are recommending that you get um, vaccinated with the same, uh, whatever you got the first time vaccine, that's what they're recommending that your booster be with. But right now, Pfizer's are the ones that people are administering for booster.
0: And is uh, EE Health administering those?
1: Yes, we are. We, um, if you want to go to our website at eehealth.org, you can schedule a vaccine, if uh, booster vaccine at our Downers Grove location, and you can come in for booster at our location, even if you didn't get your original vaccine at our location. But we do encourage that if you're coming in for a booster, that you bring your original vaccine card, so we can ensure that it's the same dose.
0: And do you know if it's the same? The booster dose is the same strength as the original doses.
1: I don't know that.
0: Okay, that's just a curiosity sort of thing. So moving, moving out of COVID boosters into flu. Um, what does this flu season look like? or are, are we have we seen any flu flu patients yet? Are we likely to? And when is the best time to schedule the shot?
1: So we are very worried about flu season this year because we were very lucky last year and did not have any flu because nobody was really out talking to each other and so the the uh transmission of flu was not as evident as it usually is we anticipate this year is going to be a little bit differently although you never know so we haven't seen any flu yet um but uh, it is time now to get your flu shot, so you should be scheduling your flu shot. It usually takes about two weeks for it to build up immunity within you. And so if you get it now, by the time the flu season starts rolling, you should be, hopefully, if this one works, you will be immunized.
0: I got mine on Friday, and uh, uh, my arm felt like it was just barely pinched the next day. So that uh, whoever gave me this, the uh, vaccination did a great job, and it was somebody affiliated with Elmhurst Hospital, so thank you. I don't know her name. I wish I could thank her, but uh, she did a great job. So can you give me an update on the number of, uh, or at least a percentage of hospital employees who are fully vaccinated?
1: Yep. At this point, we have jumped. Remember the last time I talked to you, we were still in the 70s. We've kept sticking at the 70s. We are now at 94.8% of all hospital employees are fully vaccinated.
0: Wow. And and have you been able to... uh, a few refusing to get it and leaving like we hear around the country?
1: Well, um, so we have over 8,400 employees. At this point, we have had 19 people resign because of refusing to get a COVID vaccine. Um, we do have people, though, that have applied for medical and religious exemptions, and right now they're going through that process. And um, we'll see what happens when that gets completed. Our, our final date For people needing to be in the process of having their vaccine or have, having gotten their exemption is I think October 25th. And so, um, hopefully we'll know more by then. I think there might be a few other people along the way that may choose to resign and are just kind of holding out to see that if we're very, if we're serious, we're hoping they don't choose to resign. We really want to keep them, uh, But if they can't get an exemption and if they won't get vaccinated, we really don't have any other choice at this point. A lot of people have gotten vaccinated that really didn't want to, but they wanted their jobs here. And they do understand that it's important for the safety of our patients and the safety of the organization that they get vaccinated. So they did it even though it wasn't really what they wanted. So we need these other people to make a decision. and. So it's not going to be a huge amount, you know. With 8,400 employees to have 94.7 percent already fully vaccinated, we feel pretty comfortable. Um, but we would like everybody to stay, so we'd love for them to either get an exemption or be fully vaccinated.
0: Well, and I, I agree. The 19 who resigned are 19 more than you would have wanted to have resigned, but it's still a relatively low number. So, uh, you know, we're the the general public hears that a lot of healthcare workers and and first responders and that are resigning and but we don't really have a good feeling for the percentage so that, that that's comforting that it's it's fairly low. So Bridget you've been very patient if we could kind of move on to an area that's near and dear to my heart and I uh, among a lot of folks that I know have claimed to have uh, we we have gained a lot of weight during the pandemic and we're blaming it on the pandemic um so it's a uh, It's an issue that's talked about a lot, and I just wanted to get your take on that. Are you seeing that a lot of folks have gained weight during the pandemic?
2: You know, I I think absolutely we're seeing it, right? We see – I I will personally tell you I also gained weight during the pandemic, so um, I I experienced it myself as well. So I I do think – and we are seeing more volume, so we have – just in our surgical class. So we have like a, an information session about our bariatric surgical programs. And we've seen that just the number of people attending that just to learn more about it has skyrocketed. And our volume just within the clinic have gone up 10% since last year, um, year over year. So we are seeing more people um, who have struggled with it because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of reason behind it.
0: Do you think it's mostly because the refrigerator's close when you're working at home? or a little of both, or are there other factors that I'm not even considering?
2: No, I, you know, I think it's, it's both, right? I think it's stress. So some people, um, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. I think a lot of, we talk a lot about people working from home, but I think a big thing also is people, job loss. So people who lost their jobs, um, so there's stress and depression that come with that. And then the activity-based, right? So the people that, you know, you used to get up and walk, from your car to your office or from the train to the office. And now people walk, you right, from their chair to the couch to the refrigerator. And so the number of steps is drastically reduced. So that just number of overall activity level has gone down. Um, And and that people sometimes self-medicate with food. And I know our weight loss providers will tell you, you know, if you look at, all the news reports about alcohol sales, right during the pandemic. Like, and they'll tell you some people, you know, self-medicate with alcohol, you know, recreational drugs, and some people use food to self-medicate and help themselves feel better. And so we've um, we've been seeing that, and that's definitely contributed to the weight gain.
0: So, which is healthier, food or alcohol? No, I'm i not gonna <laughs> ask that question. That was just I'm, that was just me being <laughs> me, me being me. So, I've heard of some folks that actually lose weight in times of stress and anxiety, and others that gain weight. Is that your experience?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's so true. And What we see a lot in the clinic when, we talked, um, when we've talked about this is actually people who are in, in acute stress events, so the loss of their loved one, for instance, sometimes like a, an acute stress event, sometimes they completely lose their appetite, right? So instead of gaining weight, they just stop eating. They have no taste. They have no desire to eat, and so you do see that weight loss. Um, whereas you have some people who, when they get into a chronic stress-related um, situation, it's that it's never-ending, it's not going away, you see them increasing their caloric intake, and then you see that weight gain come on. So there are, everyone responds a little bit differently, but there are some people who just completely lose their, um, um, their desire to eat anything, and so they do have that weight loss.
1: I think also through COVID there were a lot of people that stopped eating because of the they lost their sense of taste and smell and then a lot of people their smells were very unusual smells and they couldn't tolerate even eating because of those unusual smells so even though COVID may have made a lot of people gain weight I think some people lost weight because of their response to actually having the COVID illness
0: Interesting and can you give me a kind of a rundown of some of the weight management programs that the hospital offers.
2: Yeah, yeah, we have we have a wide variety. Actually, when you um, take a step back, so we have our Jumpstart Your Health program, which is really a community-based program. So no physician or medical referral um, is needed, um, and that's actually a year-long lifestyle management program. And it's a group setting. We do it virtually right now. Really helps people. Um, learn more about nutrition and weight loss and just make better decisions. Um, And really, it's a supportive environment to help them sustain um, the weight loss that they make. Um, And then we have our Endeavor Health Weight Management Program. And so this is a physician-led program. It's interdisciplinary, so psychology is involved, um, dietitians are involved. um, And really that, the Endeavor Health Program, takes a three-pronged approach. So lifestyle, so some people just need some accountability and education. Um, So the lifestyle approach, then there's medication management, which um, uses medications to help support people in losing weight, Um, and then there's the surgical um, part of it. For those people who their BMI is at at such a point that um, the medications have helped but not enough and they really need surgery to kind of um, help them have a sustainable weight loss.
0: You know, in in my lifetime, I wasn't really familiar with with some of the eating disorders like anorexia nervosa and bulimia until you know Karen Carpenter suffered from it and died and back in the in the early 80s and and throughout a lot of the 80s those those diseases got a lot of attention and I personally don't hear about them a lot anymore are they still just as prevalent as ever or has has awareness and education kind of curtailed those to some degree?
2: You know, unfortunately, they're, they're just as prevalent as ever, right? And there was actually a study um, that came out in 2019 that showed that the, the rate actually increased. So between 2000 and 2006, and then 2013 to 2018, that actually it went from a, like a 3.5% prevalence to 7.8% prevalence of eating disorders that are diagnosed. And they attribute that to a couple of things. One is the diagnosis it became easier to diagnose. Because of all the education in the 80s and 90s, clinicians have an easier time talking about it and recognizing it, and they were screening for it. So there's probably more diagnosing going on than there was before, um, as well as kind of some of the definitions of the diagnosis have, um, have broadened, right? So there's more people that fit those, the, that criteria. The interesting thing, I think, about eating disorders, A lot of attention has been um, put on anorexia and bulimia, but really binge eating disorder is twice as prevalent um, as those people who are suffering from anorexia or bulimia. And so our Linden Oaks programming, um, actually our Linden Oaks Behavioral Health Hospital, they have great inpatient and outpatient programming around anorexia, um, bulimia as well as around um, binge eating and in our weight um, management program it's one of the first screenings we do because there are quite a few people that come in and um, you know the treatment's very different right for helping someone lose weight if it's a binge eating problem right versus mm-hmm. if it's if it's you know due to stress or um, you know lack of activity and things like that so unfortunately the numbers have not gone down um, the prevalence has gone up um, but I think the awareness has been raised and so we're just doing a better job as a healthcare community and in, in taking care of it
0: you mentioned uh, some treatment that the hospital has for, for various weight loss issues, and you mentioned medication. Are, are medications commonly prescribed for folks trying to lose weight, or are those more for extreme circumstances, and are there supplements also that might be recommended for weight loss?
2: You know, it's a, it's a great question. I think everyone's approach for weight loss is very individualized, and it needs to be, right? What works for your neighbor might not work for you. Your metabolism, your age, right? Like everything about you is, is, is a little bit different. Um, and so we, there are some people who do quite well with lifestyle, and that's just really education, teaching them better habits, and giving them the support. But medication does play a large part in, uh, part in a lot of people who have tried numerous diets right? So people who have tried numerous things and have been unsuccessful, medication a lot of times just helps give people the support to get started on that journey. And then as they layer in the lifestyle changes, they can maintain it long term. So there are um, various medications out there for the different kind of, um, everyone has, there's, there's, Some people have that binge eating problem, right? Some people um, just can't stop eating, right? They overeat. um, And some people, um, you know, just are sweet addicts is what we call them, right? They just choose the wrong foods when they eat. So there's different medications that help with each of those um, things. But it has, um, and and they are successful. They they are kind of that extra booster aid for those people who have tried um, everything else and and really haven't been able to be successful.
0: So I know, uh, you know, the most extreme treatment is obviously some sort of surgery. And a lot of us are familiar with the term bariatric surgery. A lot of us don't know exactly what that means, myself included. I've heard of liposuction. I've heard of lap band surgery. Can you kind of give us an idea of the various forms of surgery that might be available and and how extremely obese or what problems a patient might have to be eligible for such a surgery?
2: Yeah. So we offer here at, um, at Elmhurst Hospital, we offer two different approaches a sleeve. So it's called the gastric sleeve or the gastric bypass. The goal of both of those procedures is to decrease the volume of the stomach, essentially, right? So they take what size the stomach is, the sleeve makes it look like a sleeve. So exactly the surgical procedure. um, And it really shrinks the size of the stomach. And so really, the person can't eat or overeat because their stomach will not allow them to, right? Their body. And the bypass the bypass does something, it does a similar thing. It's just a different surgical procedure, um, but it also just decreases the volume um, of space in the stomach. And so it, you know, when someone has a, a bariatric surgery, there, it's, a, it's a life altering change, right? So how they eat, how they socialize, there's a lot of um, psychology component to it. They have to be ready for those changes and be willing to make those changes to do it. Um, But really the goal is to um, decrease the size of the the stomach to be able to help support people in losing losing, um, weight and reducing their caloric intakes.
1: And when you said liposuction, liposuction is not a weight loss Uh, procedure liposuction is just removing fat from your body. It does not make you lose weight and so um, you can gain just as much weight even if you've had liposuction done. So the procedures that that Bridget was talking about are actual changes that help you not be able to have the caloric intake that you had before but liposuction does not do that. Liposuction is a nice cosmetic
2: to help kind of smooth you out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So does it does it appear that most of the folks that are good candidates for this and have been well counseled um, have successful surgeries. That five and ten years later, they're much healthier, smaller than they were before the surgery.
2: Yeah, and I didn't answer your last question, so I'm going to answer that really quick. So, to be a candidate for bariatric surgery, so you have to have a BMI over 40, right? So you have to. So that's significantly obese, right, Over a BMI over 40, um, or a BMI over 35 with other medical complications like hypertension or diabetes. And we see, you know, we're part of, um, we do do data collection here, quality data collection here, and we're seeing really good results with our patients. One of the most important parts of a bariatric surgery is that you're wherever you go to have that procedure, they have a team approach. Because what we what research has shown is that people who are in a controlled environment have a much more successful outcome. And what that means is there's a psychologist involved, there's a dietitian involved, because some programs, it's, it's just a surgeon. The surgeon just goes in there, does the surgery, but without that support on the back end, because it, the surgery is kind of the beginning of the journey, it's not really the end of the journey, um, but we are seeing, um, you know, there are complications, risk of complication with any surgery. Um, and so there are some risks of complications, but the, the risks are pretty low in the surgeries um, that are being done today. They're well-researched um, and, and really well-monitored. Um, so we, we have seen, found that the procedures we do here are very successful. There are some other kind of newer procedures or not as well-researched procedures out there, but, um, you know, they seem to have a few higher um, complication rates.
1: And we have been recognized for the quality of our programming um, they, it has a certification that allows many of the insurance companies to approve this location here where if you don't reach those qu- excellent quality standards, um, there, a lot of insurance companies will not cover
2: that place. Correct. So we w- earned our Certificate of Excellence with Blue Cross, Blue Shield, um, United Healthcare, and Cigna in, in the past um, year and a half. So the program has to have so many cases underneath them. So we've reached that case count and our quality meets their standards, which is great.
0: When I was doing the very little bit of research that I do before a show, I was looking at the number of healthcare professionals, uh, mostly you know, uh, MDs and DOs uh, that are affiliated with the hospital system and, and uh, weight management. And I was shocked how many professionals have specialized in that. You really got a big team there, don't you?
2: We, we do. And that, that when you look at that, there's dieticians involved, psychologists, as well as the, um, uh, the bariatricians who focus on the medical management and then as well as, um, you know, the surgeons that we have. So we do have a, a good team and they work really well together and um, it's allowed us to achieve the successful outcomes that we've had so far.
0: Great. If we could shift back to you, Pam, and can you give us any updates on uh, the pending merger with North Shore University Health System?
1: Well, the only update I have is that it's moving along smoothly, that we are still trying to aim for the end of December for a closed date, and so that we'd be merged by January 1st. We are still uh, waiting for some regulatory approvals, and so once those approvals go through, uh, then we will know that we can close on those dates, but we've had some meetings together, and everything looks very promising, very promising that we are going to be a system that really focuses on the community hospitals staying focused on the community and that we keep everything local for our communities, which is what we're very proud of and excited for.
0: Well, great. And I'm going to ask you about that next time we talk, too. So we're we're going to stay on that. And I I hope it continues to go smoothly. And so far, so good. We'll keep our fingers crossed. One last thing I want to ask about is I know the uh, Hospital Foundation, which I'm involved with, has their autumn affair coming up in uh, November. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's going and whether that's going to be in person?
1: So we're keeping our fingers crossed that we are going to be in person. If everything continues in the trajectory it is right now, we will be. It's going to be November 19th. It's a Friday instead of a Saturday, Um, although it, it might be fun to have a Friday night And then you can have your whole weekend to do something else. But it's going to be a mix. It will be virtual for those who choose not to want to be in person. And it will be in person. And it looks like we have uh, close to 200 people signed up already. I bought my table. So I'm very excited. And this year, all of the money we earn at the Autumn Affair will go to helping our nurses in this hospital. And we know what the nurses have been through over the past couple years And we know how important nurses are to the quality of care for all of our patients. And so we're very excited to honor our nurses and have this foundation event be totally focused on our nurses.
0: Well, those uh, nurses have had a year that they never expected, and thank God for uh, their dedication. The rest of us uh, will be eternally grateful. So, ladies, Pam, Bridget, thank you so much for spending the time with us here today. And uh, I look forward to talking with you both again in the future. You also, Bridget, hopefully you'll come back. This wasn't the worst experience ever, hopefully, for you. So (laughs) thank you both.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Bridget. We really appreciate you helping us keep our community informed on everything that's going on. I think it does make a difference.
0: Glad to. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.